Hello and welcome. This is Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with teacher Brian Johnston. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have your company. We've just one more program after this in this series on the Bible book of Daniel. Today we've reached Daniel chapter 11, the Bible's most detailed prophetic chapter. Next week, it's the prophecies still to come concerning the Antichrist, which will take us into the final chapter, chapter 12. So I hope you'll be able to stay with us. But we're not there yet. So now for today's talk and chapter 11 with Brian. Thanks, John. Yes, in this study, we hope to begin to look at what's perhaps the Bible's most detailed chapter. In terms of its sheer density of prophetic statements, it's remarkable. There are some 135 statements in the first 35 verses. To showcase just how impressive the inspired Word of God is, we are going to attempt to interweave the historical fulfilments in between the prophecies. It's the hallmark of deity that God can write up the future just as easily as the past. The 11th chapter of Daniel begins, Behold, three more kings are going to arise in Persia. Then a fourth will gain far more riches than all of them. As soon as he becomes strong through his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. And a mighty king will rise, and he will rule with great authority and do as he pleases. But as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom will be broken up and parceled out toward the four points of the compass, though not to his own descendants, nor according to his authority which he wielded, for his sovereignty will be uprooted and given to others besides them. Here we find that Daniel is informed that the present leadership in the Persian Empire would be succeeded by four rulers. History names them for us, but suffice it to say that Xerxes the fourth was the most influential, and during his reign he fought wars against Greece. We read about the mighty king who would arise, and that's a reference to Alexander the Great. Between 334 and 330 BC, Alexander the Great conquered Asia Minor, Syria, Egypt, and the land of the Medo-Persian Empire. A few years after his death, his kingdom was divided among his four generals, and the two names of the generals of the four that are most important are Seleucus, who reigned over Syria and Mesopotamia, and Ptolemy, who reigned over Egypt. The next section in Daniel chapter 11, from verse 5 to verse 20, spotlights the conflict between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. The Ptolemies, who ruled over Egypt, were called the kings of the south. The Seleucids, ruling over Syria, north of Israel, were called the kings of the north. There follows, in chapter 11 of Daniel, many details of the pretty much continuous conflict between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, that is, between the kings of the north and the kings of the south. During all this, the land of Israel was invaded first by one power and then by the other. Although we've no time to examine the details, every scriptural statement made in this section has had its precise fulfilment in history. In the first 35 verses, of this chapter, as we've said, some 135 predictions were made, which were all subsequently realised historically. So much so that sceptics insist on a later date for writing. But we've already seen 
how archaeology has established the author's contemporary knowledge of 6th century events, which were unknown to later historians. When we come to verse 21, a significant figure confronts us. We read, A despicable person will arise, on whom the honour of kingship has not been conferred, but he will come in a time of tranquillity and seize the kingdom by intrigue. These verses describe someone known to us historically as Antiochus for Epiphanes. This one Seleucid king, that is a king of the north, ruled from 175 BC to 163 BC. And he's given as much attention in the Bible as all the others before him combined. This is not only because of the effects of his invasion on the land of Israel, but also because he foreshadows the Antichrist, who will one day soon again desecrate Israel's land. Despite the throne rightly belonging to another, Antiochus IV Epiphanes seized it. So he didn't become king by rightful succession, but through intrigue, as the scripture says. Let's continue with that sort of prophetic, historic, interlinear version of events. Daniel 11 and verse 22 says, The overflowing forces will be flooded away before him and shattered, and also the prince of the covenant. History tells us that Antiochus was accepted as ruler because he was able to turn aside an invading army, perhaps the Egyptians. He also deposed Onias III, the high priest, the prince of the covenant. Back to what the Bible says, verse 23 after an alliance is made with him, he will practice deception, and he will go up and gain power with a small force of people. In a time of tranquillity, he will enter the richest parts of the realm, and he will accomplish what his fathers never did, nor his ancestors. He will distribute plunder, booty, and possessions among them, and he will devise his schemes against strongholds, but only for a time. History tells us that after his many victories, Antiochus' prestige and power rose with the help of a comparatively small number of people. He evidently sought to bring peace to his realm by redistributing wealth, taking from the rich and giving it to his followers. Back to chapter 11, verse 25. He will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south with a large army. So the king of the south will mobilise an extremely large and mighty army for war. But he will not stand, for schemes will be devised against him. Those who eat his choice food will destroy him, and his army will overflow, but many will fall down slain. As for both kings, their hearts will be intent on evil, and they will speak lies to each other at the same table, but it will not succeed, for the end is still to come at the appointed time. Now let's see what history tells us. It tells us that after Antiochus had consolidated his kingdom, he moved against the Egyptian king of the south in 170 BC. In this battle, the Egyptians had a large army but were defeated, and Antiochus professed friendship with Egypt. The victor and the vanquished sat at a table together as if friendship had been established. But the goal of both to establish peace was never realised, for they were both deceptive. Back to verse 28. Then he will return to his land with much plunder, but his heart will be set against the Holy Covenant, and he'll take action and then return to his own land. History tells us Antiochus carried great wealth back to his homeland from his conquest, and on his return he passed through the land of Israel. 
He was frustrated because he'd wanted to take over all Egypt, so he took it out on the Jews by desecrating the Jerusalem temple before returning to his own country. And now from verse 29 we read, At the appointed time he will return and come into the south, but this last time it will not turn out the way it did before, for ships of Kittim will come against him, and therefore he will be disheartened and will return and become enraged at the Holy Covenant and take action. So he will come back and show disregard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. History tells us two years later Antiochus moved against Egypt again. As he did so, he was opposed by the Romans, who'd come to Egypt in ships from the western coastlands. This was a disheartening defeat for Antiochus, as he was left with no alternative but to return to his own land. For a second time, Antiochus took out his frustration on the Jews, the city of Jerusalem, and their temple. He vented his fury against the law of Moses and favoured any Jews who'd turned to help him. He desecrated the temple, abolishing the daily sacrifice. Antiochus sent his general and soldiers into Jerusalem on what was supposedly a peace mission, but they attacked on the Sabbath, killed many, and burned the city. Now verse 31 tells us, Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they'll set up the abomination of desolation. By smooth words he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many, yet they will fall by sword and by flame, by captivity and by plunder for many days. Now when they fall, they will be granted a little help, and many will join with them in hypocrisy. Some of those who have insight will fall, in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time, because it's still to come at the appointed time. History tells us that in trying to get rid of Judaism and enforce Greek culture on the Jews, Antiochus banned the Jews from following their religious practices and ordered copies of the law to be burned. Then he set up the abomination of desolation. Worst of all, December the 16th, in 167 BC, he built then an altar to Zeus on the altar of burnt offering outside the Jewish temple, and he actually offered a pig on it. Such desolations, as we saw, are again predicted at the close of the ninth chapter of Daniel during the future time of the end game of the Antichrist, something which the Lord Jesus spoke about in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, when he mentions about the abomination that makes desolate. So Antiochus promised apostate Jews great reward if they would set aside their God and instead worship the God of Greece. Many were persuaded by his flattering promises and worshipped a false God, but a small remnant remained faithful. These were God-fearing people like Daniel's three companions, whom we've already used as illustrative examples of those who know God. The Jews who refused to submit to Antiochus' false religious system, were persecuted and martyred. In 166 BC, a man by the name of Mattathias refused to submit to this false religious system. He and his sons fled from Jerusalem to the mountains and began the Maccabean Revolt. These times are remembered by Jews to this day in December every year at the Feast of Hanukkah. At first, only a few Jews joined the Maccabees, 
but as their movement became popular, many more joined. The suffering endured by the faithful served to refine and purify them. The persecution was of short duration, as had been previously revealed to Daniel in chapter 8. You remember, it was only for 2,300 evenings and mornings. Here in Daniel chapter 11, Daniel's again assured that this persecution would pass, for the section ends with a definite hint of things stretching far into the future at God's appointed time. Surely this is a reference to the final days of the Antichrist, about whom we must speak next time as we complete this 11th chapter, hopefully with our confidence now riding high in the amazing accuracy of God's tried and tested word. Thanks, Brian. I trust you enjoyed Brian's study today, just as much as I did. But please remember that the transcript book for this series is a valuable reminder if you want to do follow-up study of the prophecies in the book of Daniel. There's a lot of detail, and it's very helpful to have the book, and it's free, of course. And if you do have any questions, please write in, and Brian will be glad to help. We never pass on your details to anyone else, so you can contact us with confidence. You can also download many of our books and talks via the internet, but the hard copy book for this series is available to you by asking for the title Daniel Decoded. You can order it by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN4 8DY, that's SN4 8 UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info So, that's the end of the programme for today. Many thanks for your interest in our programmes and for your company. I hope you enjoyed today's talk. And I look forward to you joining us next week, if you can, for the final chapter in Daniel and the final talk in this series. But for now, it's very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, studio technician, David, our singers, and me, John. So cheerio, and may God richly bless you. Bye, Lord, dear.